I think this particular podcast is a really great opportunity to say like, hey, everybody, let's get back centered. Mm -hmm. Like, let's center on Jesus. Let's center on what he really stood for. Hi, I'm Nat, and this is Nate, and welcome to the third episode of our podcast. We took a little bit of break for no real good reason, Um, (laughs) but actually the real reason is that We don't want to just talk just because we can. We want to talk because we've got something that we feel like we're supposed to say or that's burning on our hearts or we feel like it's from the Lord. And so, um, yeah, we've just been working through some stuff and here we are again. So Yeah, because it's not an issue for me to just talk. No, but I don't know. Natalie came up with a good topic, though. Well, I feel like it's on the Lord's heart and it's been on mine and he's been... You know, turning the spotlight on on me, and I feel like just the whole body of Christ is just like inviting us into a, a deeper reality of of who He is and what He's doing on the earth right now. So we're going to talk tonight about inviting people to come to the table and to taste and see that He's good, um, and that what that really requires of us as people who want to see the world change because we believe in the good that the goodness of God changes things. Um, and some of the barriers to that. I know you're intimately acquainted with this. This is something that is you're really passionate about. And so um, why don't you go ahead and share like what, I guess, your journey of or your, I don't know, your path of how you came to be the marvelous human that you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, first I was born. No, okay, that's too far back. <laughs> so, so, but I get we need to clarify what the idea of preparing a table means. Um, because it is actually possible for someone to hold a personal conviction without tearing everybody else down who doesn't hold that conviction. Absolutely. It's, it's actually possible, believe it or not, to love people who have differing views. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really what we're called to. Like as, as people that profess Jesus, mm-hmm. like we're called to be those that, that draw people in with his love. I mean, Romans 2 says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And mm-hmm. and if we aren't being the kind ones, um, I did some research and, and found that that was often a phrase used for the early church. Um, in the Greek, the, the word Christian and kind one was like one letter different. And so often the Christians were called the kind ones because that's what their lives displayed. And and if we're not being the kind ones and inviting people into that place where they're experiencing his kindness, we're not going to win them over with what you said, like divisiveness or, um, and, you know, and it's not like, it's not, it's not a competition, right? Like I think that can become, um, that can be really become a barrier to people experiencing the goodness of God and experiencing the kindness of God. Why don't you speak to that a little bit about, about how you see that as a barrier, how you've seen it in your relationships and stuff. And so if I can bring out this idea of the kindness of God that leads us to repentance translation, that just means like, Hey, rule number one with Christianity is try being nice. (laughs) Like that's, that's, it's kind of a basic rule. Um, but what we're seeing a lot of in the over the last couple of years is that uh, people have lost that basic general rule of civility, which is like be nice to people. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean just to their face. That also means behind their back yeah. when they're not there. Like if someone is not in front of you, that doesn't automatically give you permission to tear them down and call them names and do all this other stuff like this. There's in no way does that fit within Jesus's. Um, depiction of what it means to follow Christ. Yeah, I think sometimes people think that just if you're being nice or you're being kind or you're expressing love that you're somehow diminishing truth. And I think that's been, you know, a downfall of, of a lot of 
Christians in recent times is that they they say, well, we hold truth to such a high standard, and we should because there's you know we believe that there's one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus, and we believe uh, you know all these things that the Bible says we we hold them as true, but it doesn't diminish the fact. Uh, loving someone doesn't diminish the fact that something is true that they may not be walking in. Our job isn't to only convince them of the truth, no matter the means. I love what um, I remember hearing Bill Van- Bill Vanderbush talking about this one time. Up, <laughs> he was talking about um, you know the how love and truth are supposed to walk together um, yeah. in our in our walks with the Lord, and so if we elevate one above the other, then we're, we're missing half the equation. And, and there can be a tendency, um, for some to elevate love and compassion without truth. And then that becomes a false gospel. Right. But, but if we do the opposite and we elevate truth with no love, we're still missing the point of the gospel. In the times of my life, when I've chosen to love other people less, I become very uncomfortable around ideas that combat my own. Our tendency, the tendency in a Christian circle is to say, well, you don't believe what I believe, so I feel uncomfortable because I have to right now in this very moment force you to change your mind. Mm. And uh, I don't see Jesus displaying that. In fact, I see a lot of times uh, when Jesus sent out the disciples, he sent them to go and be with people and to love on people and to serve them and then eventually um, told them about the kingdom. And then I also see him in some some circumstances healing people, and then telling them not to tell anybody. And so the confidence that comes with knowing that you hold the truth and that you're really showing up to love the individual is is, uh, pretty incredible. And I think what we're seeing a lot, I know that there's um, several people I know personally who they have children who are in their, you know, early 20s or going to college, they're starting to go through some things. And they've been involved um, with religion for a fair portion of their life and now they're off to college they're starting to make their own decisions and there's a lot of people right now who are um, deciding hey christianity is no longer for me because these other individuals around me who aren't following or profess religion are actually loving people better yeah and um, the harsh truth is that in a lot of cases that's actually true and so what we're trying to bring out is the reality that Jesus actually loved people like that and he challenged them to find truth and to adhere to truth um but the light turned out whatever oh I thought it was like a bug or something (laughs) okay that's fine light's fine (laughs) he challenged them to their core but also loved them really really well it is the love that millennials and lower are looking for Mm-hmm. right now that kind of love that they read the jesus and the bible expressing they're looking for people who are actually espousing that and i guess this is an opportunity for us to say that like yes that is real and this is a paradigm shift that we need to go through yeah i mean if you look you know in john he talks a lot about the love of god because he was so convinced of of the love of god and the importance of knowing god's love and expressing god's love and he says and beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Mm-hmm. But he that loves not knows not God for God is love. And, and we see Jesus talking about this too. I, I think, I think something that, um, I, I don't know that I've seen and that I, I feel the Lord challenging a lot of people on is that sometimes we confuse gifts with fruit. Um, you know, in, in Matthew seven, when Jesus, 
uh, is talking about how, you know, he says, many will say, Lord, Lord, in that day, didn't we do all this stuff? Mm. Didn't we perform miracles? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I'll never know you. And, you know, the, the Bible says that the gifts of and the callings of the Lord are without repentance, they're irrevocable. And, and you know, if you think about it, like a, the difference between a gift and fruit is gifts are given without um, knowledge of how they use, I mean, God knows, but if I give you a gift, I don't get to control how you use the gift. I just give it to you because I love you. And because I want you to, I want to share something with you. The difference between a gift and fruit is that a fruit has to be cultivated, and a fruit has to grow, and and it's not for us; it's for others. And so, um, I think there's a there's a danger and there's a tendency sometimes to start to follow something or to justify a way of treating people because we see an expression of gifts, um, but without the expression of fruit. Jesus says that we don't actually know him. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, you know, if we do all these things, but we don't have love, we're just a noisy gong. You know, Galatians 5 says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, mm. and self-control. And so the that's the fruit of the spirit. It's really the evidence that the spirit is alive inside of us and, and is bearing good things. And that's really the stuff that rises to the top, right? Yeah. Is that all the gifts should result in all the stuff that you just talked about. Right. And and when we bear fruit, it's not for us, right? Like an apple tree doesn't grow an apple so it can eat its own apple. It's for someone else to to taste the sweetness. And and that's really what bearing fruit in our lives is about is about inviting people to that place where they they're like I got to have some of that. Like you're so kind. You're so you're so good and and I want some of that. I want to know where that comes from. And and that's really what leads people into that place of relationship with with God, with a father that loves them and then pursues them, is that, that they have to see that in us because we're called to be like him. And mm-hmm. if we're not like him, then how are they going to see him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I love about that, you're talking about that centralized, you're really talking about recentering. Yes. What we're really saying is that it's the Bible itself. The key book to all of Christianity is saying all of your participation in the things in in the church and the retreats and the outreaches and the praying for all of those things should result in this positive fruit that you're talking about. We're just losing <laughs> lights. Should result in this positive fruit that you're talking about. And if it doesn't, then what? Well, it's not even that. It's not even that the works produce it. The works doesn't produce that. It's it's our intimacy with the Lord. It's because yeah, we become we become what we behold. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if we're focused on because we're not saved, you know, the Bible says that we're not saved through our works. We're not saved. We're not sanctified through our works. We're called to good works. Um, we're called to express His nature, but really expressing fruit or growing fruit in our lives that we, that we just talked about in Galatians 5 it's about you know getting ex- experiencing his nature for ourselves because mm-hmm. of his grace beholding his nature and allowing it to change us and then out of that place we express those things that you said you know mm-hmm. he- healing the sick praying for pray, you know praying for those that are that are in need giving to the poor loving those that that are in need of love mm-hmm. those things are are supposed to be coupled with the fruit yeah. and and we lead with the fruit 
and the expression of the fruit is healing the sick. It is, you know, casting out demons because we have compassion. Like the Bible says that Jesus, when he moved, walked on the earth, he was moved with compassion mm-hmm. because he was full. He was full of the nature of God because he is God. But that that's really what that's about. It's not, you know, it's not that we do the works and then we become like him. No, no we behold him and we, and we ask him, God, what are you like? And we allow that, that deep reality to become our reality. There was a period of time where I had centralized all of my faith practice around an organization. And what I realized was happening was I was working really hard. And I thought, I thought, you know, that I was becoming more Christ-like and all that other stuff. But because my identity was really focused into an organization gathering once a week, um, I didn't realize that I was uh, participating in all of these things like outreaches but not um, developing fruit like you're talking mm-hmm. about um, in the way that we're talking about now. And so the concept of preparing a table for me was the challenge of reexamining all the things that I was doing, decentralizing my fulfillment of the Bible from uh, being around an organization to walking it in every part of my life. Mm-hmm. And when I started to apply this concept to every part of my life, I started to, I started to um, separate myself from serving uh, an isolated organization to really starting to walk this everywhere that I want. Well, and not even organization, right? Like, not a not a specific group of people, but just but to say. Hey, I'm gonna show kindness to everybody. I'm yeah. gonna show love to everybody. I'm gonna. It seems so practical. It, it is. You know it I mean? is so practical. <laughs> it seems so normal. <laughs> and I think you know. And, and to your point about you know, like going out and doing all the things and doing it with the wrong motivation. Like sometimes we we do we find our worth in those things instead of beholding the one that actually changes us, the one that actually you know gave us value from from before we were born. You know, called us to the Bible says that he predestined us for good works. And so I don't know, it's just, it's, it's interesting when you think about how you can literally live your whole life and, and do all the good stuff and there's value to that. But if you don't, if you don't have love, if you don't do it from the place where it's actually producing a fragrance on your life that draws people to Jesus, you're, we're kind of missing the point. One of the questions that I've been asking myself that I've been feeling God ask me is, you know, if, if someone were to come and sit at your table, the table of your life, if they were to come into your church and they were to um, talk to people, if they were to sit in your service, if they were to come into your home and sit at your dinner table and see how you treat your kids and, and your wife and your husband and and your mom and your mother-in-law and your father-in-law, and they came to your workplace and saw how you treated your employees or your coworkers or your clients, and would they taste his goodness or would they taste something else and or would they have to you know you think I think we've got a couple picky eaters in our family where they complain about dinner all the time and I think about you know them picking through a a bowl you made that fried rice tonight and I think about Jude picking through the fried rice to find the things that he wanted to eat out of it because he didn't like the other stuff the other stuff was distasteful to him and we don't want to we don't want to provide that for people when they're coming when they're they're hungry you know people are so hungry to experience something, to experience authentic goodness, to experience authentic, real love. And they're willing to look 
everywhere for it. And, and we, instead of when they're looking in the wrong places, instead of providing them the authentic, real thing, we condemn them and we, and we say, no, that's not the way. And we boycott them and we, you know, we ostracize them instead of saying, Hey, there's a better way. Like he loves you and we love you. Mm. My spiritual father is, uh, lives in Phuket, Thailand. And, um, I asked him a question one time and I know this is going to be controversial when I say it. So I was asking him about the process of, um, doing transformation groups in the city where you live and transformation, meaning you gather a group of people within the same city with a common purpose of positively impacting the city with using biblical principles to help guide, um, how you interact because our opinion is that biblical principles really are truth and that biblical principles really will lead a city, a person, a region, a government to be able to live to the fullness of what it was built for. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I was talking to Brian and I was like, hey, what's your what's your thought process on people who having who aren't Christians participating in these groups? And he uh, he just talked to me. He's like, uh, what would you say if I told you that um, we had a Buddhist leading one of them? And at the time, this idea was this concept was totally foreign to me. Like mm-hmm. that seemed like I was taught like this is danger zone. Like you run away from this like this, like you don't do this. And um, I mean, that was what that shoot. That was like 10 years ago now. Um, but anyway, I looked, I was like, I would ask you, like, tell me, explain it, because I understood him to have the kind of heart that I wanted to have for cities. And his version was, no matter their religion and no matter their worldview, we have a common goal. And that common goal is that we want to see this city transformed to be the best it can possibly be. And so Brian's version was, I will gather around anyone who has that common good goal And his defense was, if Jesus is real, and if the Bible is real, what are we so afraid of? (laughs) It was so, it resonated in me so deeply, because if God is real, and the Bible is true, and all that stuff is real, then why the heck would anybody be afraid or sit in fear of communicating with people who are outside the Christian faith? Why is there fear in there at all? And why can't you sit down at the table with somebody else who holds a different worldview or a different denominational view or all of that stuff? And why can't you be confident at that table? And why doesn't, if it's truth, why doesn't truth at some point steal the show all on its own? Hmm. And so when we talk about loving people and espousing love and giving people love, I think that the first place that people really need to look is to really look at all the stuff that we read in the Bible and start participating in society and become love from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Because there is, this is my last part, I'm on a roll right now. It's so good. Because there is a process that's happening in the earth right now where there are a lot of people within and outside Christianity who are looking at Christianity and saying those people aren't actually living love. And there is a higher calling for that. Mm-hmm. There is a much higher calling for that. And I think that we we have the opportunity to do that. And one of those ways is to see the common areas where humans are very similar and to connect over those things. And I, that's just how I walk around. I'm like, I used to I used to be afraid 
to participate with different groups of people and it makes no sense. I, and, you know, I've definitely succumbed to that before and, you know, and often just, of, you know, it's it's comfortable to talk to, hang out with, you know, be, develop relationships with only people that you're like. Like, mm-hmm. it's very comfortable. It's a very comfortable place to live. It requires zero effort um, to actually know what you believe. And it requires zero effort because everyone's like, everyone automatically believes what you say because you're in the same community and they believe, you know, it's just, there's this exchange of, of, of trust and, the, and the, there's a place for that, right? There is, we need that in our lives. Relax, we need, restore, recover. Yeah. We need that place of fellowship where we come together with people that are like-minded and, and have the same goals and the same, you know, the same vision, the same heart. Um, and there's a, there's a place for that and it's very important. You know, we believe that, but there's also a place where, where we're not supposed to just stay there. And I've been very guilty of that in the past of just of allowing myself to just live in that comfort zone of like, okay, well, yeah, I'll be friends with, you know, I'll go to the gym and hang out with people that, you know, don't aren't, you know, don't follow Jesus and, and whatever, but I'm not going to develop relationship with them Mm -hmm. or I'm not going to pursue relationship with them because, you know, I'm, and maybe it's part of its pride, you know, of of being afraid to be challenged and Mm. being afraid that you, maybe you don't actually believe what you think you believe that maybe there's a a fear of that. And, you know, I've, I've had to deal with some of that myself and just really, you know, examine, like pray, like David did, like search my heart, God, and know me. Like, would you reveal my own heart to myself and, and the places that I don't actually know that I believe you? Because if we actually know that we believe him, if we actually believe that he is good, that he's the absolute best thing for my life, for your life, for literally everyone's life, then we're going to live in a different way than, than, at mass we've been living as Christians. And I think there's that call right now to, to really start to open our eyes to that reality that maybe we don't know him as well as we think we do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's an invitation. It's not a condemnation. It's an invitation yeah. to really sit with him again and say, God, what are you really like? Mm-hmm. And how, how can I be like that? You mentioned the idea of maybe we don't really know him like we think we do. And I'm going to pull out that side of maybe we don't really know ourselves like we think we do. Mm -hmm. And kind of that dual, uh, our whole lives are about growing, right? And so when we realize that we don't know ourselves as well as we think we do, it's a normal process of life. There's a lot of guilt, I think, sometimes that comes behind that for a lot of people. So they think, oh, I messed up again. Jesus, I'm sorry. Help me. And, you know, like literal Jesus. I'm saying praying to Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus, please help me. Um, I messed up again. So when you talk about pride, when it comes to not wanting to potentially connect people or for the purpose of staying in the comfort zone, um, can you just walk through that? Because I think a lot more people feel that Mm -hmm. than actually verbalize it. Man, I mean, I think it's the fear of being wrong part of it, you know, that's, which is rooted in pride. Um, you know, it's the reason that why we don't do a lot of things. (laughs) Um, and I think, you know, as Christians, because, we do believe and we've chosen to believe that the Bible is true, that Jesus is God, that there's one way to the Father, like all the things that the Bible say, um, that there's part of us that's actually afraid to be challenged in that area in case we don't actually know what we think we know. Mm. And, you know, and and that can go with 
with knowledge, I can go with sin, I can go with all sorts of stuff and, and our actions, if somebody challenges our actions, like, hey, like you're not actually living like Jesus. Like I thought Jesus said this. Yeah. And you know, oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and that, that's really the the invitation though is like there, there's two options, right? There's one and that's mm. to cover, cover ourselves and to like hide you know, to hide it and to, you know, shirk away from that. Or there's the or the challenge is also an opportunity for exposure mm-hmm. to walk in the light as he's in the light and to say, yeah, you're right. Like, wow, I don't, I'm not actually convinced of that thing you just challenged me on. And now I need to go and sit with God and I need to sit with his word and I need to, to let him convince me mm-hmm. and let him move me to know him better because he's like, he's very confident in himself and, and we can be confident in him as we, you know, as we grow in our knowledge knowledge and our experience, you know, our experiential knowledge of him. But, you know, it it requires us, I think growth often requires a challenge. It requires us to confront those things. And, and I think there's this, there's this ideology that's being challenged in, um, in the Christian circles and in, in church at large that we have to act like we, we have it all together. Mm -hmm. Um, because, we're not called to have it all together. We're called to lean on the one that does. Mm -hmm. And if we're acting like we have everything together, then we're actually obstructing the view of the one that we're actually supposed to be leaning into. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's something that God's been exposing in me of the the need to actually know what it is to yield to him Mm -hmm. and to yield to the fact that I don't have it all figured out and I don't need to convince people that I do. I just need to convince them that I know the one that does have it all figured out. When someone challenges you on something that you hold to so readily, it is really difficult because it smacks you right in the pride. That, um, knee-jerk reaction to want to cover it up when you don't really know is not only difficult, but it does keep you from growing. Guilt is is uh, underdeveloped accountability. Mm. And what I mean by that is the process of guilt is what happens when you don't want to accept responsibility for your actions. The process of feeling guilt and holding on to guilt actually keeps you from growing because you're tied to the emotion that you should be able to move beyond. And do you think that's tied to what we were just talking about as far as like when somebody confronts you or challenges you, that that could also be a response? The mm-hmm. knee-jerk could be guilt? Yeah, I think people feel or guilty. Or shame that they don't know what they think they know. <laughs> yeah, guilty because they don't know. Guilty, yeah, they feel shame, guilt, both of those emotions because they've been telling everybody that they should believe a concept but they're not actually convinced of it. <laughs> yeah, and they're not actually convinced of it. Yeah. And if we let go of guilt in that process, then we get to grab onto entering into the wrestle. And in most cases, what we get to enter into is the understanding of, hey, I don't have all the details, and that's actually okay. Yeah. I, I am somebody who uh, I love the scientific method, the process of running experiments that are reproducible, the, the amount that it takes actually to come to a conclusive yes and inclusive no, a conclusive no, it, there's so much that you have to actually go through scientifically. And so I'm someone who says I am 99.99% sure of my faith, right? There's a lot of people who get super upside down when I say that, but it's because there's no way that I could scientifically prove it, but that doesn't bother me. It in no way negates my belief and my adherence to Jesus Christ, 
who died for my sins, who loves me, who saves me, that I'm a Christian, it in no way at all shakes any of that. So anybody can come against me at any time and poke holes in my faith, and I can say, yeah, you're right, you know, I don't know that. But it doesn't change what I've chosen because of a number of things that I've experienced that don't necessarily prove God to me, but they are things that I've chosen to hinge my life on. And so um, when people have, uh, especially intellectual people, have certain conversations with me about my faith, they'll ask me questions that have been really hard for people to answer. And instead of me triggering over and saying, because the Bible says so, I'm like, um, I've chosen to believe that the Bible's version of this is right, and I can't actually prove it, but it's another framework that I built my life on. What are some practical things that you've done um, that could in- help people to kind of prepare a table, like we've been using that language tonight, for people to come and taste the goodness of God? Mm. First off, um, and you better be thinking, because I'm going to ask you the same question. Um <laughs> First off, it's not going to be the same for everybody. So the first step for everybody is to scale back all of the language that they've learned. Um, pause for a second and just lay down all the book versions and all the sermons and all the lessons and studies of how you show up for people and pause and just just really appreciate how you're built. I really appreciate how you're wired because there are extroverts who are going to go out and they're going to pull everybody in and they're going to smile and they're going to bring everybody into the circle. There are introverts who are going to sit there and and, and be very quiet um, at a table until somebody comes over and says hi and now they're engaged in a conversation. There are people who are going to look angry in the corner. There are people who are going to, there's all different types, right? So my way of doing this for people who resonate with me has been to I love people. And so as I get involved with conversations, I ask people about their life because I made a choice at one point when I used to work in physical therapy that I was going to actually fall in love with people. And I started asking people questions and listening to their stories and I decided that people were fascinating. And so I ask people questions all the time because I love hearing their stories. But when they tell me their story, I actually listen. Mm, That's important. And I have found that there uh, there are not very many people in the world that I've met anyway who actually want to listen, who actually ask a question to hear the answer. Um, It's very common that when we ask a question that people start telling us their story and we immediately start either judging their story or thinking about how they're wrong or thinking about how to argue. And what I've preferred to do now is to enter into conversation and have those conversations with them. And so that has been my primary form of uh, of doing what you're talking about, which is if I'm going to benefit somebody's life, my natural interest in people puts me in a position where I can ask people questions and learn about them and actually listen to their story. And it is amazing because that is such a need in the world right now, how many people feel fulfillment and feel loved just because someone someone actually is interested in their story. I mean, I have some other ones, but I think that's the main one. I want to present a few. Yeah, I mean, that was really what I was going to say, too, is that, Got him. you know, it can it's as easy as saying, can you tell me your story and then actually listening and actually hearing. And, and I think the invitation into um, expressing kindness and goodness in our lives is actually to see 
people the way that God sees them. Mm -hmm. And if we don't take the time to know people, how are we going to see them the way that God sees them? And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a few stories in the Bible where Jesus, you know, like where Jesus meets the woman at the well and, you know, she's coming to the well, the Samaritan woman. So first of all, you know, Jewish people and Samaritans did not get along. And plus she was a woman. He's not supposed to be talking to her at all. And then she's the kind of woman that she was, you know, and she was coming to the well in the middle of the day, which was not what you did because it's hot. Um, And she was there because no one wanted to be by her. And she was there because of who she was. And Jesus saw past that. He didn't, he knew, he he knew her because the Bible says that he knew what was in the heart of all men. But, um, you know, he saw past the the things that she had done that were offensive and the things that the ways that she was living and saw what her real need was what her real longing for was love and her real longing was to be filled um with something that she was choosing you know lesser things to fill you know in that story you know she had had a whole bunch of husbands and, and now she was sleeping with somebody that wasn't even her husband. And, and Jesus knew that. And, and it should have, according to a lot of our standards, made him reject her. But instead it, it drew him to her because mm-hmm. he saw what she was really thirsty for. And I think that's really the crux of this whole thing is that there's an invitation for us to ask God, how do you see these people, mm-hmm. how do you see, you know, whatever, whoever it is that we're, if there's a certain people group that you're wrestling with, if there's a certain way people vote that you're wrestling with, if there's a certain viewpoint or, you know, ethnicity or whatever, whatever it is that, that you find yourself warring against in internally, there's, there's an invitation to, to see them, how God sees them. And, and that really, it moves us to act out in goodness mm-hmm. and in compassion, because then when we see how people, who people really are, then we're moved like Jesus was. If if we're, you know, walking in relationship with Him, I guess you and I will tend to navigate people very similarly in this concept of preparing a table. Um. So I do want to pull out for a second some of the other characteristics that I've seen in other people. So there are other people I know who are much more, they have no issues intruding into people's life at any given time. And I say that in a positive way, right? Like I am not built to want to like walk up to somebody who's sitting at a table and uh, intrude on their life because that's just not how I'm built. But there are other people who that's what they do. They see, you know, someone will be sitting there with a group of five friends and one person has, you know, uh, a bag or something that they resonate and they'll walk up into that group of people, interrupted their conversation, be like, wow, I love your bag. And it's just so cool. And I have, and then they'll strike up a conversation. That is a super valuable way of preparing a table. Mm-hmm. It's way different than what you and I do, but it is super valuable. And so, um, I think that's important. Are there any other examples that you can think of of different personality types? Because that's one of them. Like I know one of Lindsay. Shout out! You you were <laughs> you were totally the type of person who will who will very extroverted will walk up and um, talk to people in a very different way that we would. But it's important to note that it's different than how we would do it. But it's uh, it's authentic. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's really it, right? It's like you don't have. It doesn't have to look like anybody else. Like mm-hmm. you, you be you. And be, 
and be love and be be kind and watch how God starts drawing people. You know, maybe maybe you've been feeling guilty because you're not winning people to Jesus. You know, if you you are feeling that call to like witness and share the gospel and and whatever, like start with just loving people. Start with just the people around you. Like if if your coworkers and you know the people that you come in contact with in the way that feels natural to you. You know, and whether it's maybe you bring somebody a homeless guy a coffee, or maybe you spend an extra 10 minutes at lunch talking to the coworker that looks down and just ask them about their day and just, you know, just share a moment with them where you're actually listening to them and providing that maybe you help your friend move, or maybe you help somebody that you haven't gotten along with move. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, there's a lot of ways that, but really the answer is be authentic. Like we, I mean, that's kind of like a crux of our message, be, be authentic, but you know, I do want to hit on one more part too. When you, you just jogged something in my mind when you started talking about that. Um, when we, when we think about serving and loving people, the easiest place that we start going is, is going to strangers and talk about, you know, I guess that the number one place that everybody goes to when they talk about doing something good is homeless people. That's like everybody. You see all on YouTube, every, TikTok, everybody. Like, look, I'm giving this homeless man five dollars. I'm gonna change his life. Yeah, every, everybody. Like, that's where we go to. We go to poor people and children. Which that's what we talk. That about. is, I mean, James talks about the like pure and undefiled orphans religion, and or, orphans and widows, and keeping yourself undefiled from the world. So there's a there's a reason, but hundred percent true. There's a, there's a buzzword <laughs> that I use a lot. It's called the. I talk a lot about sphere of influence. It's not. I did not originate that term. It's one that I heard from other from somebody else, but what it did is help me to define who the majority of my focus should go towards. Giving stuff to people to children who don't have any need food, shoes. who need <laughs> shoes, whatever. Like, yes, that's great. We have a tendency to elevate that above really showing up to love your children. Mm-hmm. Or really showing up to love your spouse. Because it's easier. I mean, honestly, it's easier to give shoes to some homeless kids than it is to show up day after day after day Mm -hmm. and and show your kids you love them. And it, it feels more dramatic. It feels like the thing that we should do. Um, What I had to realize is that if giving a stranger a item of clothing or a or some food or whatever was more fulfilling to me than supporting my partner that my move was primarily my movement of serving the poor person was primarily for myself. Mm. And it started to level a playing field that my service of a stranger, if that in any way was more exciting was another moment for me to recognize that I needed to learn how to be others focused on a totally different, different level. And so what I've started to do now is is really take up strongly the the importance and internalize what it is to show up for um, the people that are in my life. And now, you know, like helping showing up to serve you if you're a little bit stressed out on a given day or whatever, because family, (laughs) four kids, all that stuff like that's real life um, is as fulfilling to me Mm. as going out and giving food to a homeless shelter or whatever. That's been a, it's uh, been a process of change. So I think that um, we talk about preparing a table. Um, yes, we want to do that in, in the presence of people who don't agree with our beliefs. Amazing. 
and then also at the same time show it to the people who are closest to us to do the same thing. I think it's really it's really important for us to, you know, really take inventory of our hearts and of how we're living our lives and, and really ask ourselves this question right now and um, just the time that we're living in. You know, there's a lot of people going through a lot of stuff, um, you know, and some of you are probably going through stuff. We're all, we're all going through stuff, right? We're all um, kind of trying to make our way in this world. There's stuff happening in the world that's horrific and, and we have to be able to see with his eyes and, and, and see ourselves with his eyes and say, okay, where am I living this good news out, this gospel of grace, this gospel of uh, this invitation for people to come and sit at this table, and where am I not? And be really honest with ourselves and say, okay, this is, I'm actually creating barriers to people coming to see his goodness. And, you know, and Jesus talks about, or well, in, in Matthew uh, 23, I think, or 21, um, there's a story of right after Jesus comes into Jerusalem, after he's, you know, riding on the donkey and people are worshiping him, saying, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And, you know, saying, basically saying, hey, the king's here. And he goes into the temple, the place that's supposed to be um, the place of worship, the place of meeting with God in that day. And he sees something that disturbed him so greatly that he went away, had dinner and came back the next day and created a whip and drove out money changers and people that were selling goods in the temple. And if you know anything about the temple, there was a, you know, there were different um, levels of, uh, of closeness that you could get to the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God and, and you know, the nearness of God. And that outside layer where Jesus drove out the people that were selling and and, and distracting from the place of worship, um, that was the only place that people like you and I, who are not Jewish, could come into worship. And it was the only place where people who wanted to come and to have relationship with God, it was as far as they could come. And and because of Jesus' sacrifice, we're able to come in all the way. Like we don't have to stop, you know, at at the outer court, at the, at the place where we don't actually get to know him, you know, we get to come in all the way. But in that day, it was as close as they could come. And, and there were barriers there. Those, those people represented, you know, they were thieves. They were stealing from the poor who wanted to just come and, and worship. And they, and they were preventing from the, them from doing that. And they just wanted to have relationship with God. And, and they prevented Gentiles, like people that, that weren't Jewish because Jesus first came to the Jews. They prevented them from, from coming and having relationship with God. And, and he said that that's not, we're not going to do that anymore. And I feel like that's the challenge for us um, today is to, to cleanse the temple, like to cleanse um, our own hearts of those places where we're preventing people, but by the way that we're acting, by the words of our mouth, by our actions from coming and seeing that he's really a good father, that he's really a good God, and that he's really in love with his kids and he just wants his kids back. Mm -hmm. And that's our call. That's our greatest call on this earth is to be the ones that call his kids home. And we can only do that if, if we're showing them who he really is. And, and I think that's the, that's the invitation today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't have anything more to add to any of this. I think this is probably a good place for us to wrap some of this up, unless you have anything else you want to throw in there. No, that's it. Um, yeah, I just hope this challenged you, challenged 
me as I've been like sitting with this and just inviting the Lord to come and reveal my heart um, because his light is is good. Like his light in our hearts is good and it reveals things. It can be painful sometimes when he reveals those areas to us, but it's for our good and his glory and mm. it's for others good to see how good he really is. And mm. so I guess that's the invitation. You know, I do, there is actually one more thing that I want to add as you're saying that is I was listening to a podcast recently that was sent by a friend <clears throat> and he was talking about how in the environment that, that we live right now, and there's, these were two people who, um, th- this particular conversation was about politics, and it was someone who was left of center and right of center talking together. And he brought up a really interesting challenge, and that challenge was, he said, we have to remember that there's about 80% of the people in our environment who are what you'd call some version of centrists. And then there's the 20% who are all the way out on the fringe. And the part that he brought to this to the table was he said, <clears throat> this individual talking was politically left of center. And he said, it's our responsibility to talk to the people who are way out in the weeds and to bring them back to center, knowing that some people you never will, right? But it, but basically to, to call that side back towards center and the person who was on who was right side said it's basically it's our responsibility to talk to our people and bring them back to center and somewhat of what you're talking about is i think us having this conversation to say that if we're not in this place of preparing a table then we've gotten out to the fringe Mm -hmm. and what we're really doing in this podcast is because we have you know people who are christians and people who are not who watch this And what we're really doing is saying to the people who are Christians is come back to the center. And in this case, the center is Jesus. And Mm -hmm. to our friends who are not Christians, it's to say that we understand that there are portions of our faith that represent this this super fringe side. And unfortunately, that's the part that gets the most publicity. And unfortunately, is the part that gets a lot of times the the most power is uh, is to be way over here but we're saying that 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 is not in my opinion representative of jesus that super exclusionary side and jesus was the one who came to love and to lay himself down for people and i think this particular podcast is a really great opportunity to say like hey everybody let's get back centered Mm -hmm. like let's center on jesus let's center on what he really stood for and um if you're someone who has has been through this process and you've looked at um, uh, someone who professes the Bible as being angry and divisive, um, we're just saying that Jesus wasn't that way. And the Jesus of the Bible and what the Bible stands for is not that way. And uh, it's centered on love and something else. So we do hope that if you're one of those people who's really curious about um, about Christianity and about the, the Jesus that we know, um, that maybe you stick with us over the next couple because I have a feeling that there's going to be some more stuff about the love of Jesus in the next couple. Uh, I guess to really learn about the Jesus that that we know. And if you're someone who is in the seat of being a Christian and you're kind of trying to find your way back to that cross-centered life, um, man, just jump in. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So we, we hope that... Um this helped you, challenged you, um, and we'll talk to you guys soon. All right.